welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's sermon podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. Well, one of the uh, considerations in preaching is being aware of technology. So last week, if you guys were here, uh, I struggled a little bit with coughing and coughing into the mic, which then was uh, broadcasted. After the service, I was uh, graciously reminded that I have a mute button here, that I can just do it myself. So I will try and remember that, but there's a lot of things to consider when we add technology in the mix. What I wear is also in light of technology. So you got to have something that has a thing for the, the microphone pack. The live streaming, if I wear too light of a color, it washes my face out and all they can see is just like eyes and a mouth hole, which is probably pretty disturbing. If I wear all black, I blend into the background and they just see head and hands. So it's challenging. I always have to be thinking about what I'm wearing when I preach. And as I went to my closet this morning, I picked this shirt out. And this shirt actually was the shirt that I wore when I um, was officially hired here, and it was my first Sunday as uh, associate pastor, which was about three, which was about three, three and a half years ago now. And I was reflecting on how easily uh, that opportunity could have slipped me by. So when our previous pastor, associate pastor, Michelle Dwyer, left, uh, I had a lot of people ask, oh, are you going to apply? Are you going to apply? And at the time I said, no, no, um, no, Jesus has said no. Which, man, guys, warning for you, don't say that unless you've actually spent the time and prayed. Because I was saying that, and full confession, I hadn't really stopped to ask Jesus. You know, I just kind of was like, no, no, I don't don't want to. And so I said, no, 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 I'm not interested. And so the process went along. And I remember one Sunday I was sitting where I normally sit and, and Greg was preaching and no clue what he was preaching about. But I remember that he kind of did his thing when he goes off his notes and he came and stood here because we just, if he comes and stands here, he's going off his notes and it's probably spirit led. So he stood here, and he just, I don't even remember how he couched it, but he read, or probably quoted, Matthew 16, 24, that says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my followers, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. And it was like the word of God came and hit me. And all of a sudden, it was the realization that I wasn't even actually considering what Jesus was inviting me into. I had decided that how my life was was nice and comfortable. I could pick and choose how I engaged, and I didn't want anything different. And right there, it was the invitation from Jesus to, are you willing to lay aside your comfort? Are you willing to pick up your cross and apply and enter in to what I'm inviting you into? And I just think, if I had said no, which I could have, right? I get to, we get to say no to Jesus. If I had said no, man, the last three and a half years, the growing that I would have missed out on, 
the times I got to sit with people as, as we uh, talked to Jesus together that I would have missed out on. You guys, me bringing my gifts to you, what you guys would have missed out on, what, it just is one of those things. It's like, man, if I had picked comfort as the actual goal, how much would I have missed out on of what Jesus had for me? And following Jesus' example is a cross-shaped life of self-denial so that we can be formed into people who are filled with the love, joy, and peace of Jesus himself. And as we continue our series on fasting, fasting is one of the ways that we can cultivate a heart of self-denial. And again, not out of punishing ourselves, not out of trying to desperately earn God's approval or something from him, not as the only thing, because we want our identity to be rooted in Jesus first, but fasting is a way that we can empty our whole bodies of all the ways that we self-protect and self-promote and open ourselves up to what Jesus has for us. And so in this series from Practicing the Way, again, an organization that we get uh, our teaching uh, notes from and all of the digital guides and stuff like that, we're covering the four reasons for fasting. So last week I talked about the primary reason is to offer ourselves to Jesus. Then there's to grow in holiness, to amplify our prayers, and to stand with the poor. And so today we're looking at the reason of fasting, to grow in holiness. So last week I kind of started talking about a theology of of the body. The importance of, of recognizing the truth in scripture that our bodies are a part of who we are. And our discipleship to Jesus must take seriously our whole person, body, soul, and spirit. So let's look a little bit more at the body in relation to fasting. So, what happens when you fast? And as I'm going through this, this is the narrow definition. So last week I talked about how uh, John Mark Cormer, the uh, organizer of the Practicing the Way, he holds to a really narrow definition of fasting, just no food. And I spoke about how at Beaver Lodge Alliance we kind of have a broader definition. There can be no food. We also consider... uh, abstaining from things, also fasting. So social media, uh, um, it's the only one I can think of. Clearly that's the one maybe I need to do. Social media, we, uh, and also then restrictive eating. So maybe a Daniel fast, cutting out uh, carbs and sugar. But when we're talking about what happens to your body when you go through fasting, we're talking about the narrow definition of no food. So in the first four hours after a meal, The body is feeding on the energy from the food in your stomach. About 16 hours or so after you last ate, your body switches from burning glucose for energy to burning fat. This is what doctors called ketosis, ketosis, which is apparently very good for you. And there's a whole big thing about, you know, the keto diet and people are eating weird combinations of things. Then at 24 hours in, your body shifts to a state called autophage. And this is a Greek term that means self-eating, which is a little gross. But what happens is your body starts breaking down and cleansing itself of all the old, 
dead and damaged cells. Some doctors call this your body's way of taking out the trash. And so, due to the body's internal processes, there are all sorts of health benefits for fasting. Cleanses the body of toxins, it increases our metabolism, reduces our weight, lowers insulin levels, inflammation, blood pressure, strengthens our immune system, reduces our heart rate, slows aging, protects against and possibly reverses many diseases. Medical experts say that fasting is really good for your physical health. But when we as followers of Jesus engage in fasting as a spiritual discipline, the ultimate aim is none of those health benefits, although they're there. And I want to be clear, we're, we're not going into the dualism of, you know, it's either a spiritual discipline or it's healthy for our body. We can have both of them coexist. We can see things as and both. It's a spiritual discipline and good for our physical bodies. Pope Benedict said this about fasting. In our own day, fasting seems to have lost something of its spiritual meaning and has taken on, in a culture characterized by the search for material well-being, a therapeutic value of care of one's body. Fasting certainly brings benefit to physical well-being, but for believers, it is, in the first place, a therapy to heal all that prevents them from becoming more like Jesus. So our ultimate aim in fasting is not the health benefits, but as followers of Jesus, is to offer ourselves to Jesus and grow in holiness. So for some of you listening, you might hear the word holiness, and it can be kind of a loaded word for some people. It can make people feel a little squirrely about, that's been used in ways that have been uh, oppressive. Holiness is just becoming more and more like Jesus. It's wholeness. It's What health is to the body, holiness is to the soul. So just as fasting purges and purifies your body of the cells that are killing and damaging to us, fasting is our soul's way of purifying and purging our whole person of the self-defeating cycles of sin and shame. So please note, I'm not really, if those of you know me, I'm not a big fan of the either or, of it's either this or that and the pendulum swing find myself in the and a lot. And so, when you hear me say fasting is a way of of defeating the self-defeating cycles of sin and shame, I am not saying it's either fasting, behavior modification, or it's dealing with our, you know, our wounds and our hurts and our, our places that the enemy has spoken lies to us. It's both. We need to let Jesus into the places of pain and hurt. We need to do the hard work of acknowledging the identity lies, forgiving what we need to forgive, walking in healing and freedom. And we need to train ourselves to walk in new ways. And fasting can help with that. Fasting is a way to set your soul apart as holy and have it dedicated to God for his purpose. What's interesting is many in church, many people throughout church history saw the stomach as both the enemy and a potential ally in the fight against sin. Gluttony 
is the first of the seven deadly sins on purpose. Because Christian thinkers have long said that an undisciplined appetite has a domino effect in all areas of our lives. It spills over. And our capacity to steward our body's natural drives for food and intimacy and sex in healthy ways are connected. So let's try and dive into that a little bit more as we continue in the theology of the body. So last week, I read a passage from 1 Corinthians that said, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is a home for God. But listen to what Paul says to the Romans in chapter 7 of Romans. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I, not do, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I don't want to do. This I keep on doing. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man am I! Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And this is, this is a famous passage. This is one we've, we may have heard, or because it articulates how we feel. What we want to do, we don't. And what we don't want to do, we find ourselves doing. This self-defeating cycle of, of, that we get stuck in has to do with our body, our body of death. So Paul, what is it? Is, it a, is our body a temple of the Holy Spirit, or is it a body of death? both. In your body and whole person, you have a spirit, part of you that is home for God, where your spirit is one with God's spirit. And we have a part that is infected by a fatal disease called sin, that's rooted in a lack of love for God, others, and ourselves. Paul uses the word flesh to talk about this part of our whole person. It doesn't mean matter. We hear flesh and we associate it with the English, oh, flesh and bones, which meaning this. That's not what Paul's actually talking about. We are a whole person. We cannot separate the material from the immaterial. We can't, it is unbiblical to see the body is bad and the soul is good. We are body, soul, and spirit all together. So, when we see the word flesh, it has to do with our whole person, our sinful nature, our self-indulgence. It's the instinctual drives in our body for things like food, sleep, sex, self-preservation, and instant gratification that have overpowered our will and bent our hearts away from love. It's also the more immaterial drives too. Desire for security, safety, affection, esteem, power, and control. And these things aren't in and of themselves bad, but they're often disordered. They're not in their proper place. We've not given them the correct significance and weight that they can handle in our lives. Augustine called the flesh disordered desires. Things are out of whack. 
That, that was my part, the out of whack. That wasn't Augustine's, just in case you couldn't tell. But the point is, our fight is not against our body, as if it were bad, but it is for our body. Our fight is against the flesh. And this fight against the flesh is seen all throughout the New Testament. Taking up our cross, we, just, we saw in Matthew 16, is the language of Jesus. Paul calls it crucifying the flesh. We see it first, we see one in Galatians 5, 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. He also alludes to this in Colossians 3, 5. So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. So how? How do we crucify this flesh? Sometimes we hear, just stop sinning. Often, it's in relation to others, right? Why can't they just stop doing it? We, we understand that it's complicated for us and there's a lot of reasons and grace slash excuses for us. But often we can get into the thing, it's like, why don't they just stop doing that? It's sin. Don't they know it's bad for them? Don't they know? Just stop it. How's that working out? Not great. And Paul tells us this what the problem is in Romans 8, 13. For if you live by it, that sinful nature dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So what Paul's saying, we can't use our flesh to defeat our flesh. Willpower will never be enough. We need the power of the Spirit. Don't get me wrong. Willpower is great, but it only works on small changes. You know, willpower against cookies is one thing. Willpower against the deep-rooted, maladaptive ways of coping and relating to others, willpower is not going to work on that. As followers of Jesus, we need to find a way to draw on the same power that Jesus did, the power of the Spirit, in order to live out his teachings. Well, how do we do that? Well, first of all, I think it's important that we do the hard inner work, whether that is inner healing, soul care, emptying the suitcases of our soul that are so shoved with pain and wounds and lies and the enemy that there's no space for Jesus. We need to deal with that in combination, maybe therapy. And, not or, and through the practices of Jesus. Sabbath, prayer, fasting. Fasting is a way to feed your spirit and starve your flesh. So what happens spiritually when we fast? And now when I'm using the word fast, I'm talking about the broader sense because all of these things that I talked about, the restrictive, the abstinence, the no food, 
will do this. Number one, it starts weaning us off the pleasure principle. So underneath our desire for food is an even deeper desire. Psychologists call this the pleasure principle. It's a driving motivation of the immature who want to do what feels good in the moment. You know, once reserved only for children and, and middle schoolers, the pleasure principle is fast becoming the new normal for all ages. So much of our culture is actually built around the idea, if it feels good in the moment, just do it, because that means it's right. We don't have to think too long to realize that that falls very short. We know many things feel good in the short term, but reap damages in the long term. And on the flip side, many things that are no fun in the short term yield dividends and flourishing for years to come. And so, through fasting, we can mature beyond the pleasure principle and learn to do the right, hard, holy things, even when, frankly, it really sucks. And we learn how to be happy and content when we don't get the things we want. And what can happen is, this can free us from the anger or the anxiety that can be connected to our illusion of control. Number two, fasting reveals what's in our heart. It reveals the things that control us. Uh, often, I, uh, for the last new number of years, in January, I fast something. Uh, you know, social media, sugar, you know, meat and carbs, whatever it is. And for many years in a row, you know, when I kind of came to the beginning of January and was just asking Jesus, what do you want me to fast? I told, there might be some of you in the room that heard this. I would say out loud, as long as Jesus doesn't invite me to give up coffee, I'll do anything. Right? You can see the, maybe the concerning part in that. And it was one year that as I was saying, like, man, you know, anything other than coffee I could do, And again, Jesus in his kindness was like, coffee is the thing? Why, why is that? Why won't you give that up? And I realized it was controlling me in a way where it's like, well, no. That's the only way I can get up in the morning and deal with my young kids at the time. That's what makes me feel like warm and cozy and ready to start the day. That's what, it was like so much of my okayness going into the morning was centered around coffee. I still drink coffee. I still really like coffee. But the amount of power and control I was giving coffee to my life, that's crazy. And, and my fasting revealed that. It reveals the things that control us. And it teaches us so much about ourselves can show us our unhealthy relationship to food, how much we actually are controlled by outer things, how much we need pleasure to be happy, how much we've been using cheap comforts and cheap rest to try and satisfy our souls. And as we become aware of these things, we then have a chance to offer it to God and in doing so, be set free. The third thing fasting does is it reorders our desires. Our desires change as we fast. 
desire for lust, greed, bitterness, power and control go down, and the desire for kindness and compassion go up. God is at work deep within our person when we are fasting to do by his power what our willpower cannot do alone, transform us. The fourth thing that happens when we fast is we draw on the power of God to overcome sin. Fasting is a discipline, and like any good habit, it's a way to increase our willpower muscle. It helps us grow in both self-control and self-discipline. Self-control is the ability to say no to something you want, something that's bad in the long term for you, but you want to do it now. Self-discipline is the ability to say yes to something, maybe something you don't want to do in the short term or feels hard in the short term, but it's good in the longer term. Together, they make for self-mastery. Some of these disciplines bring your whole person under the control of your will. But hear me. Willpower alone, though, is not strong enough to break the chains of the flesh. Fasting draws energy from the Holy Spirit, from a connection to God. And as we come to God and give him our weaknesses, our places of pain, our places of of self-defeating cycles that we just can't get rid of, he comes to us and gives us his strength. In summary, fasting is a way to turn our bodies from an enemy into an ally in our fight against flesh. And fasting is hard. It's hard because you're picking a fight with your flesh. And the more you do it, your flesh is weakened through self-denial. And your spirit is strengthened by connection to God. You end up becoming freer. And the discipline of fasting is a part of the pathway to freedom. What's interesting is John Mark Cormer, uh, he, he pastored a church for a really long time before starting this organization. Whenever people would come to him trapped in ongoing sin, he recommends starting to fast. In addition to the work of therapy, inner healing, community, and more. Not just like someone's like, I can't get out of this, and he's like, just fast. No. In addition to all of these things, because we have to train our souls to walk in new ways when we've cleared up all the pain and garbage. We still need our bodies to get in line. So he would recommend that they start a fast. He believes fasting is an important part of this whole becoming whole, becoming holy thing. Because the practices of Jesus are how we do what we can do. Opening our mind and our bodies to God so that the Holy Spirit can do what we cannot do. Break the sin. When you can't overcome a sin, pornography, gossip, yelling at your kids, because it feels outside of the range of your willpower, take steps to deal with the root of things. Again, therapy, inner healing. Do we need to bring things to Jesus? Do we need to forgive people? And fast. Offer our bodies to God 
and let his spirit break the hold of sin over your body and set you free. Because again, we're body, soul, and spirit. And to receive all that Jesus has for us, for him to make us whole and more and more like him, our bodies, souls, and spirits need to be aligned with him. So we need to do the hard uh, spirit work. Is there uh, oppression happening? Is the enemy speaking lies to us? We need to do the soul, changing the way we think, recognizing identity lies, and we need to do the body work of bringing our body in line with the truths of Jesus. Before we end, remember last week's main point. The ultimate aim of fasting is Jesus himself. Yes, it is to grow in holiness, to become more and more like Jesus. To open your whole person to the Spirit of God and let him form you into a person of love and goodness. But even more so, it's for union with him. To see God, this is the soul's true ache. To see, to look at, to behold the beauty and love of God himself. Holiness isn't a formula. Because God's a person, not an equation. He is compassionate in his whole being. He is love. We do not make ourselves holy. God is the one who makes us more and more like Jesus. Our part in it is that we open our minds, hearts, and bodies to him in surrender and offer, and then do the steps of aligning ourselves with him. So again, you don't have to fast. It's not commanded by Jesus or any of the New Testament writers. And in the same way, there is no substitute for healthy eating and regular exercise for a flourishing body. There's no substitute for fasting and a life of self-denial for a flourishing soul. And remember, the way of Jesus is the way of the cross. But the cross is always followed by the resurrection. Death is always followed by life. Friday is always followed by Sunday. There is life that is birthed in us. And this is what we remember when we take communion. The cross followed by the resurrection. The death followed by life, by Jesus in defeat of the dark spiritual forces. And together, we remember that Jesus made a way to be saved, healed, and delivered, and he is coming again. So we're going to move into sharing uh, communion, and, and I just wanted to let everyone know we practice open communion, which means that we welcome anyone who is a follower of Jesus, who is orientating and centering their lives around Jesus to be with him, to be like him, and live as he did. So those helping with communion can, can come up. And so what will happen is as we sing this song, we're going to have some helpers that will uh, bring the communion around. And just hold on to your, your cracker and your juice, and then I will come back and, and lead us in taking communion together. As we take communion today, we remember that Jesus led a life of self-denial that ended with him on the cross, 
and that he invites us to take up our cross and follow him. Together we remember his great love for us. Together we remember his resurrection and his promise for us for new life, a life formed by him. Together we eat the bread and remember his broken body that was broken for us. Let's eat. And together we drink the juice and remember his blood poured out for us in great love and compassion that he made a way for us to be healed, saved, and delivered. Let's take the juice. Jesus, thank you for what you did on the cross and what you are continuing to do in all of our lives today. Today, would you remind us of your great love for us, that you have already given everything for us, and we don't need to beg for scraps or try and manipulate you by making our lives hard to order to gain your love and attention but rather we come before you and we offer ourselves to you in light of what you have already done for us. Giving up your life and defeating the dark spiritual forces of the world. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are and what you did, what you are doing, and what you will continue to do. In your name, Jesus, amen. Amen. Go in peace and in peace return. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you would like more information about us or find out ways to contact us, visit our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com. We pray today that you would experience the love, presence, and power of Jesus Christ and then make him known.